The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 143 of the podcast. Thank you for your patience. A little over a week off. We took totally my fault because I went away on vacation up to the mountains in North Carolina. Had a great time, but I want to get into that just yet because I need to introduce my co-host. By the way, today is Monday, June the 10th for those of you keeping track. You know, we usually record on Sundays, but I just got home today and, um, yeah, had a little something to eat and here I am because you guys have been asking for this shows. I do appreciate everyone who complains to me when we don't post an episode because that means that you enjoy the content and I promise all of you, I will give you double your money back, uh, for not producing a show last week. In any case... There can't be a show without my trusty co-host all the way from humid and sticky New Jersey, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling, kid? Sweating it out up there, huh? You're muted, Jeff. My bad. So, <laughs> uh, forgot I was muted. So, um, Bill, the weather has been a little all over the place. It was this weekend was really nice, and then today it's been rainy, and now it's really humid. Um, I think there are some storms in the Midwest, and we're getting some of the aftermath of that. But, Bill, how was your trip? It was awesome, man. It was really great. Um, I went unplugged. You know, put the phone away for most of the trip. You know, skim through Instagram and Twitter here and there, but, um, you know, for the most part, stayed away from social media. I uh, barely caught the fights because I wasn't trying to watch TV or anything. Just, you know, spending time with the family. Uh, it was a it was a much needed getaway. It was our first big vacation with the baby, and and you know, she was awesome in the car. Fourteen hundred miles we drove, Jeff. Um, you know, stopping periodically because we didn't want to have her in the car for too long a period um Asheville is an awesome place which is where we spent most of our time we took uh small road trip breaks along the way and then on the way back but Asheville is where we spent a little over a week and if you're a fan of craft beer I don't think there's a better place in the country that you can go than Asheville North Carolina there's just within the city of Asheville alone I think there's 26 breweries and you know, uh, in the surrounding towns, you know, you go into some of the mountain towns and stuff like that. Um, it, there's even more, and there's some big name ones out there. Oscar blues, uh, which makes uh, Dale's pale ale and, um, new Belgium is out there. Of course, the makers of bat tire and voodoo ranger, uh, who else? Sierra Nevada, one of our favorites, favorite of the show. And, you know, these breweries that I'm mentioning, the, the bigger name ones that you guys probably will recognize, they didn't start in Asheville. They started in other places like uh, Oscar Blues started in Colorado. 
Sierra Nevada started in California. Um, but it's just the perfect place to have a brewery because you have that mountain water and you have all the tourism from the Biltmore estates and everything like that. Um, and you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty hipstery area and you know how, uh, all these hipster kids are, are so into craft beer. And that's, uh, that's one thing we happen to have in common. Um, so 17 breweries in total, Jeff, that I visited, um, that includes two in Macon, Georgia on my way up, uh, one distillery, which, uh, distilled rum and gin and coffee liqueur and one winery on the way back. You know, you had to, you had to taper it off on the way back, you know, Jeff can't just be, can't just be pounded beers all the time. <laughs> um, so I think in total, you know, we would go, there was four of us. So we would go to a brewery and order two flights of beer and just kind of taste everything. I think oh, overall, I think I tried like 200 beers or something like that. Um, so there's a lot of information to digest there. Obviously, this is partly an alcohol-based podcast as well as an MMA podcast. But I was talking to you last night, Jeff. What I decided to do is make a separate episode for those who are interested in the craft beer scene and just talk about all the different breweries I went to. I, I haven't decided how I'm going to structure it yet. Maybe I'll give you my top five and then uh, some honorable mentions of of some good ones. I mean, pretty much everywhere was amazing. Uh, you know, there's good food everywhere. They have food trucks or, uh, you know, there's a great restaurant next door where you can get takeout and bring it into the brewery and stuff like that. Um, and then you can just do a walking tour. If you park in downtown Asheville, you can actually walk to like 12 breweries that are just within a couple of blocks of each other. It's, it's really, uh, it's really an awesome experience and I really want to tell you guys about it, but I do realize that not everybody tunes in for the alcohol talk. So, uh, I'm going to save that. I'm going to do a separate episode for those who are interested. I have all my notes on every brewery I visited. I have my favorite beers that I tried on uh, the entire time. What I will do, Jeff, I, I have this beer that I brought back from new Belgium and, uh, it's a sour. And uh, I'm not a fan of sour beers. I'm going to say that up front. So uh, if you like sours and you don't like what I have to say about it, um, you know, don't take it with a grain of salt because I just don't, I don't have a flavor uh, palette for sour beers. I don't like sour things. I don't like very fruity things. I don't like very sweet things. Um, you know, that's just, my palate. I'm just one guy. So it's just like my opinions on MMA, Jeff, you know, you don't have to take everything I say as fact. Like sometimes I'm just giving opinions. So this, uh, this is from new Belgium and it's, um, it's aged in, uh, apple whiskey barrels and it's a, it's a golden apple sour. It's called Felix. It is 8.8% alcohol. And, um, it, it's basically like fermented in the bottle. So what happens is it naturally carbonates while it's bottled. So it's aged for like 14 months. I, I forget what they say. A true sour has to be aged for 14, 18 months, something like that, Jeff. Um, I, I could be totally making that fact up, but 
and that's my understanding. So it's kind of corked like a champagne bottle. For those of you watching on YouTube, you could see this. And Jeff, you can see this as well. Uh, so I'm going to uncork this thing. Hopefully, I don't hit myself in the face as I do it here. I'm not a big like champagne guy, so I don't do this very often. I will admit my inexperience here. And there we go. That sounds beautiful. It sounds nice. It sounds fancy. It smells disgusting. <laughs> Hopefully it tastes better than that. Yeah. All right. So a little lighter than I anticipated. It does look like a, like a golden apple because it was aged in the whiskey barrels. I was expecting it to be a little darker, but it's a nice like golden lager color. Okay. You can see it's foaming like a motherfucker because that's the fermentation and the and the carbonation of that, the sour fruit. Um, I don't actually know why I chose this one uh, to, to live taste. I think because I brought a bunch of beer back with me, Jeff, and this was just the coolest bottle. And it was at the front of my fridge after I unpacked everything. So I was like, I'm going to do this one, even though I don't particularly enjoy sours. Although I do have to say, I, I will try the sours. If I go into the brewery, I always ask the bartender, you know, what are your top beers? What are the most popular things? That's what I want to try. And a lot of them are saying sours because they're very trendy right now. I can't understand why, but, um, you know, if that's the number one thing that people are into, I'm going to at least give it a shot. And I hated the sours everywhere except new Belgium. Um, cause they weren't too tart where they like, you know, pinch the sides of your cheeks when you take a sip of it, they were actually pretty smooth. And that's why I kind of had high hopes for the one that's, uh, aged in the whiskey barrels because I, I think maybe it'll mellow out some of that that tartness. I don't know if tartness is a word, but it felt right. All right, Bill, what do we got? Um, you know, it tastes kind of like like apple cider. Okay. Um, apple not too bad. Good. Not too bad. And it, it's not my thing. This is not something I would regularly drink, but it it's very refreshing. It's kind of like an apple cider champagne, and it's not too sour. It's not like too tart, so I can actually deal with this. I could actually, <clears throat> I can actually probably finish this bottle while we're uh, while we're doing the episode here. And um, you know, I drove a long time today, so by the time I get to the end of this bottle, uh, who knows what's going to be coming out of my mouth here, Jeff? We had a lot of MMA to talk about, so I, I could actually sip on this. This is actually very nice. Um, the the wood flavors really mellow out the the sour shitty taste that i that i hate uh, <laughs> i'm not you know there was always like that weird kid in school that would just eat sour patch kids and just like suck all the sour shit off of them and then and then throw the throw the wet jelly part at people because they were a fucking weirdo everybody knows that kid um yeah i was not that kid uh <laughs> so i did not grow up uh, enjoying the taste of of sour things, but this is this is actually pretty nice, Jeff. Um, this is as close to enjoying champagne as I will ever get. I I fucking hate champagne. I don't understand why it's a thing. Whenever I go to a wedding and they pour you the champagne, I'm like, I'll toast with a beer. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> or <laughs> or or scotch or whatever it depends on like how good the wedding is that i'm that i'm going to and i i definitely judge weddings by the bar 
Um, you know, if it's a cash bar, go fuck yourself. Don't invite me. (laughs) 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 You're going to make me, you're going to make me blow a whole Saturday and then, and then I got to pay for drinks. Like I'm at a, no, no, this, we can't be friends. Can't be friends. Um, anyway, Jeff, I, I know I've gone off on a tangent here. Sour beer, new Belgium, Felix aged in apple whiskey barrels. Um, not bad. Uh, I, I also decided Jeff, I I've come up with a rating system for beers and breweries and uh, I'll get into that when we, when we do the episode on that. But, um, you know, I think big things are in the works here. I think, uh, maybe a beer blog top beer cities have been to, um, a lot of fun stuff. I like beer. Uh, but I'm probably going to take a break from beer after this past week and then the 200 something <laughs> beers that I've sampled, including the sours that I choked down. Um, all right. Speaking of choking, let's talk about some mixed martial arts and, um, I'll turn it over to you, Jeff. Where do you want to start? I mean, we had Saturday night UFC 238, and then the previous week we had fight night 153 from Stockholm. Um, I don't really care if we go in chronological order or not. We can bounce back and forth for all I care. Um, you know, the, the people have been demanding a show, so we'll give them a show uh, however we please. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I'll be honest with you. I kind of want to start with UFC 238. I think it's fresher in everybody's mind, and it delivered, man. The card was stacked, and I think that <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of these fighters delivered, especially the main co-main event and uh, the Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone fight. I think those were the three I was looking forward to the most, and they were exciting, man. Um, there was no, um, I mean, there was a little bit of controversy, but I think it was nonstop action. I don't think anybody was really bored during any of those three fights. So, Bill, um, let's get into Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Moraes here because Marlon Moraes starting out so well um, using his leg kicks, excuse me, dominating the striking department. And it looked like, honestly, Bill, I thought that Marlon Moraes was going to finish the fight via leg kicks. I thought we were going to see that. I thought Henry Cejudo was looking. His movement was definitely compromised, uh, especially in that second round. You could see he was moving really sluggish, really hesitant to um, to use his wrestling because Moraes was doing a good job of stopping the takedowns. Uh, until sometime in the second round, Moraes just kind of got exhausted. I think that uh, I think we've talked about this before, where he has a huge weight cut. He cuts a lot of weight to make 135, and I think that he was expecting this fight to go the way his last couple fights have gone mm-hmm. against uh, Jimmy Rivera and Aljamain Sterling, where he was able to finish them in round one. I think that he underestimated Cejudo a little too much. I thought he just thought he. I th- I think that Moraes just thought that it was going to be uh, a one round snoozer, but. Cejudo, man, using that plum clinch in the second round and just kneeing Marlon Moraes as hard as he could, kneeing his head, his body. And then in the third round, Moraes had nothing left, and Cejudo got it done. So, Bill, what do you what did you think about uh, Henry Cejudo? Oh, and, Bill, I forgot to mention, not a lot of people know this, but Henry Cejudo, former Olympic gold medalist <laughs> in freestyle wrestling. He's he's still a gold medalist, Jeff. Not a 
not former, once a gold medalist, always. Yeah, <laughs> gold medalist in Beijing uh, in freestyle wrestling, Henry Cejudo. For those of you who didn't know, um, you know, he's pretty humble about it. He doesn't like to, he doesn't like to bring it up. Uh, no, man, <clears throat> here's the thing. A lot of people shit on Henry Cejudo because he's like a cornball and, you know, his interviews are always pretty cringeworthy. He's got like, you know, kind of a weird, like Oompa Loompa Mario Lopez vibe going on. Um, <laughs> and, and it's hard to take him serious, but make no mistake. This is a bad motherfucker. I mean, this is a world-class combat athlete. Uh, you know, a, a gold medal in wrestling is, is no joke. Um, by far the most credentialed wrestler, uh, to ever set foot in an MMA cage. Um, you know, until the day Jordan Burroughs decides to set foot, uh, to, you know, try out MMA, uh, he, he'll probably stay with that status. Um, yeah, so this fight was reminiscent of his fight with uh, Demetrius Johnson. For those those of you who may remember, Demetrius Johnson used to fight in the UFC. Former, uh, that's a former. <laughs> you could say, Jeff. Um, yeah, he was he was the first flyweight champion. Yeah, you can you can never lose a gold medal, but you can lose a championship belt. Um, yeah, so that first fight with Demetrius Johnson where he he had that freak injury with his ankle in the first round and it looked like he was just done and he was able to dig deep and come back and find a way to to beat Mighty Mouse and make those adjustments in the corner and he did the same thing against Marlon Moraes. You know, he got in his corner and his coaches gave him some very sound advice. They said, "Look, you're standing in the pocket too long. You need to move in and out." Um, you need to get your shots off and get out of there. And he went in there in that second round. He made those adjustments. He started utilizing that clinch. And it may have looked like something that Marlon Moraes should have been able to get out of because he's a very efficient Muay Thai fighter. But, you know, not everybody trains in the clinch. And uh, clinching with an Olympic gold medalist is not like clinching with a normal human being. Uh, you know, even though he looks like a goofball and he sounds like a goofball. Um, that's a strong fucking dude in there. That's that's holding your head down and pinning your chin to your chest and kneeing you in the gut. And you know, that wore Marlon out. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the weight cut. You know, he was taking a lot of body shots in, in that clinch. Um, and Cejudo was able to just be really fast and, and move in and out. And he showed that he has a lot more tools than just his wrestling. He didn't even need his wrestling. I don't think he was even fully committing to any takedowns. I think he was just kind of uh, grabbing them up to throw off Marlon's rhythm because he didn't want to let him get in a rhythm with his strikes like he was doing in the first round. I thought it was an awesome game plan by Henry Cejudo. I thought he made all the right adjustments. He made all the right moves. Um, he showed once again that he's a very intelligent fighter in there. Uh, you know, he's able to take information from his corner and process it and put it to use uh, in a fight where he was getting his ass whipped. Uh, like you said, those leg kicks, Marlon Moraes was sending his leg into the third row a couple of yeah. times. Uh, and he was able to come out there and make the adjustments to avoid that. Not only avoid that, but get a TKO victory at the end of the third round. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, it was 
it was a beautiful uh, second and third round from from Henry Cejudo. And um, you know, it, we've seen we've seen this from him before, where he's had to dig deep after a rough first round and, and getting hurt. Uh, you know, his fight with Demetrius Johnson, he was even injured. And uh, I think going into this fight, he had an ankle sprain, uh, which is why he had those ankle braces on. Uh, so man, just a, just a tough dude, man. There, there's nothing, there's nothing like the work ethic of a wrestler. Um, you know, anybody who's ever spent any time in a wrestling room knows what kind of grind it is. And to be able to get to the Olympic level alone is, is such an achievement and, and to win it, um, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys know or not. Henry Cejudo is a gold medalist. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it's our duty to let people know, Jeff, because he's so humble about it. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, Marlon Marais, still one of the best motherfuckers out there. Um, I wouldn't want to be the next guy to get in the cage with him. Uh, that's for sure. I would love to see Marlon Marais and uh, Pedro Munoz next. Mm. Uh, that would be a fun fight. I think, uh, or maybe Marlon Marais and Peter Jan, uh, that could be good too. Uh, there's a, a lot of different pairings to make. Um, the only pairing for Henry Cejudo, I, in my mind anyway, is Aljamain Sterling, um, who you, you were saying that there wasn't much controversy on this card, Jeff. I think the controversy was the fact that Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz were on the prelims. When Peter yeah. Young and Jimmy Rivera were on the main card, I don't know what the fuck was going on with this decision making. It's got to be some kind of bullshit politics. Um, but there's no excuse for this. I mean, this this is a number one contender eliminator between Sterling and Munoz. It was one of the best fights on the card. It was nonstop action the entire time, and an amazing performance from Aljamain Sterling. Um, so we're going to talk about it like it was a main card fight because that's what it fucking should have been. Uh, so let's, let's go right there. Let's stick with the bantamweight division. Uh, because like I said, we might bounce around a little bit cause we have so much to cover. I was so impressed with Aljamain and Sterling, the way he was fighting, uh, worried me a little bit. He was parrying kicks out way too far on Pedro Munoz. Pedro was throwing those, those body kicks and Aljo would parry out way far and, what that is from from guys who who throw a lot of kicks, that's a trap. When you see guys swimming their arms out way far like that, you you faint the kick and then you come up over the top. And Munoz did try to do that a couple of times, but luckily Aljo is so fast he was able to duck underneath him. And um, you know Aljo just countered pressure with pressure because Pedro's game plan was clearly to get in Aljo's face and. Um, Aljo didn't back down and Pedro Munoz is the kind of guy where if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And, uh, you know, Aljo put the gas pedal to the floor, the entire fight. He looked phenomenal. And anyone who comes out of his gym will tell anyone who will listen that we have not even seen a glimpse of how bright this kid's star is, uh, you know, just an animal in the gym and a real motivator and actually a, a really good coach. Um, at um, at Longo Wyman on Long Island, uh, so just a spectacular win for him. It should definitely be a title shot next. Um, the only other thing maybe is a fight with Dominic Cruz, perhaps because you know he's been calling him out for so long. But 
uh, Dominic Cruz has been on the sidelines for so long. I don't know what that would even do for him. And and we don't know what Cejudo is going to do because he's got titles in two divisions. He's got uh, a bit of a conflict with Frankie Edgar. So if Frankie Edgar were to beat Max Holloway, Cejudo has already said he wants to challenge him for the featherweight title and become the first uh, triple champ in the UFC. Um a lot of unanswered questions, but I think at the very least, an interim title should be in the future for Aljamain Sterling. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Bill, I think you're absolutely right. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think Aljamain Sterling was an animal in there. His cardio held up. He was in Munoz's face, not letting Munoz, you know, get his game plan going. And I think that we're watching Aljamain Sterling grow up, man. I feel like the last time he lost was the last time that that I really was a little worried about where his career was going. And ever since then, he's kind of taken off and just never looked back. Uh, he's got, this is, I think, his sixth win straight or something in the bandweight division. Um, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm forgetting about, I forgot about the loss to Marlon Moraes. I'm not counting that because Marlon Moraes has basically beat everybody who's uh, been in his path here. So um, I'd love to see Sterling against either Cejudo you know, I think he's deserving of that title shot. Um, Pedro Munoz, uh, you know, after that win over Cody Garbrandt, I think you could argue for him to get a title shot. And now that Sterling beat him, you know, just using MMA math here, which doesn't always work. But I think in this situation, it does. I think Sterling versus Cejudo could happen or Sterling versus uh, Dominic Cruz, who, as you know, Bill, I'll always tell you is the greatest band weight of all time. <laughs> um, I, I know you will <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i don't think you go wrong either way man i think sterling's stock is skyrocketing here um and i agree man i don't know why this is on the prelims i think that if um if anything put a tie to ivasa and blagoy ivanov as a prelim i mean um i didn't even find that fight very interesting so or make the main card six fights. But uh, I think that Aljo, I think he's earned a little bit more than that in this uh, band weight division. So, yeah, I think that, um, I think Cejudo winning this title, Bill, breathes some new life into the band weight division because there was an issue with TJ Dillashaw. He'd already beaten Cody Garbrandt twice. We didn't know what was going on with Dominic Cruz. Now, this mixes up the division just a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah, now you've got um, guys like Corey Sandhagen coming up. Uh, you still have um, you got Uriah Faber making a comeback. He's gonna he's gonna be fighting Ricky Simone pretty soon for some reason. Um, and uh, yeah, Cody Garbrandt, I think I said already. And uh, you know, John Lineker is always dangerous matchup for anybody. I think this division has made TJ Dillashaw a distant memory. Like he's already been forgotten. I think a lot of the fans have kind of written him off, um, you know, because of the, the cheating stuff. And, you know, I guess rightfully so. I mean, the guy uh, got to a certain point by, by not doing the right thing. Uh, let, let's stick with this Bantamweight division though, real quick. Here's the fight that should have been on the prelims. And that was Peter Yan versus Jimmy Rivera. Um, I don't understand why this was on the main card over Aljo and Pedro Munoz. Um, I, I just don't get it. Um, I, I also am not fully understanding the hype train that is Peter Yan. I, I don't know why 
I mean, I guess I, I get it politically. They're trying to get into other markets and they want, you know, superstars who, who come from other countries. But, um, I, I think he's looked good against the top competition, but I just feel like he's not ready for that spotlight, I guess. Um, you know, he looked okay against John Dodson. He, he looked great against Jimmy Rivera, considering like almost nobody beats Jimmy Rivera. Uh, and now he's lost three in a row. So you got to kind of wonder if there's something psychological going on there or if it's just, you know, the competition is that good in this bantamweight division. Um, speaking of which, I, Rafael Asuncao is still out there too. Uh, he's another one I left out when I'm talking about the, the bantamweights out there. So this division is definitely very stacked. Uh, but Peter Jan, I, I thought he looked good, you know, considering Jimmy Rivera is a, a tough fighter. Um, you know, his boxing looks very crisp, very clean. Um, I don't I don't know if he has the knockout power to put down some of these upper echelon guys. I feel like he needs to grow and develop a little bit more. And I don't really understand uh, him being on the main card here, especially over uh, Aljamain and Pedro. Uh, give me your thoughts on that one, Jeff. Bill, I got to disagree with you on this one. I think that Peter Jan... Um, I, I was really impressed with his performance, man. Knocking down Jimmy Rivera, I think once every round, basically. Mm -hmm. um, mixing it up really well. His wrestling was really good. Um, Jimmy Rivera um, did a good job of not being taken down. But I don't think that that makes Peter Jan's grappling um, ineffective. I think that Peter Jan... Um, I think that his grappling is essentially what won him this fight because Jimmy Rivera was just exhausted by the end of this. And yeah. I just think Peter Jan mixes it up really well. I agree. I think he's still a little bit young, but I think that he's going to make a really big splash. Maybe I'm jumping on the hype train, but I just, you know, his cardio is good. I just, I don't see anything that he's really lacking. Um, I think that his performance against Jimmy Rivera, I don't think um, that it's any small feat by any means. I think that that is a huge feather in his cap. Jimmy Rivera, very tough dude. Um, as you can see, you know, he couldn't even get knocked out. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, Bill. I think that um, I think you're downplaying Peter Jan just a little bit, but at the same time, I'm kind of on this hype train. I've been impressed with him ever since I saw him. Um, and I just, I like that there's some new blood coming into this, the into the top ranks of the bandweight division here. Yeah, for sure. I don't doubt that Peter Jan could, could make a big splash in this division. I just feel like, uh, you know, it, it's too soon for him to be fighting the top, you know, the top five to seven guys in this division, which where Jimmy Rivera is. And he showed that he could definitely hang with those guys. I, I mean, I, I would argue that the first round should have been a 10, eight round for Peter Jan. I don't know why it wasn't uh, mm. since he almost knocked Rivera out at the end of the round. Uh, and Chicago has adopted the new unified rules, which gives more uh, lenient 10, eight rounds. So uh, they need to figure this shit out. You know, if you're adopting the rules, like go, Go by them. You, you have to use that judging criteria. That's another issue. Um, I don't know, Jeff. I think it's a sour beer, man. Maybe it's just giving me <laughs> it's making you sour. Yeah, that's the problem. It's, it's making me sour. I, I'm gonna watch it down with some whiskey right now. Uh, so, 
<laughs> this is, you know, life is all about balance. So we got to take some sour stuff and, and balance it out. I got some hillbilly 101 proof uh, bourbon here, a little shooter. So I'll, I'll sip on this for a little bit. I'll try and, I'll try and wash out the sour grapes. I think, I think, um, I, I think my comments about Peter Jan are mostly, uh, based on my frustration that Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz uh, were not on that main card, even though they're supposedly the top, you know, three and four ranked bantamweights or whatever the rankings are. I don't pay too much attention to the rankings because they don't matter that much. All right. Uh, somebody who has a right to be sour is Jessica. I, man, I, I felt so bad for her and not just, because of the finish, but that whole first round, Jeff, um, she was just completely outmatched by Valentina Shevchenko. Um, and, and a lot of people are saying like, who's in this division that can, that can challenge her. And the answer may be nobody. Um, but if I can skip ahead a little bit, the one name I think would be a problem for Valentina Shevchenko at 125 pounds is Jessica Andrade, the strawweight champion who we know used to fight at bantamweight. She's a big, big straw weight. Um, I think that she will definitely have plans to, uh, if she holds on to the straw weight title to move up to 125. and that's a fun fucking fight, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself. This knockout of Jessica. I was one of the most vicious knockouts I've ever seen in women's MMA and in MMA in general. I was watching this, uh, on my laptop in an Airbnb in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, on my road trip uh, back home Saturday night. Which, side note, Columbia, South Carolina is the home of the world's largest fire hydrant. And uh, that is literally the most exciting thing to see in Columbia, South Carolina. Don't ever go there. Um, <laughs> did, it, did it smell weird, Bill? Like, do a lot of dogs pee on it? <laughs> I didn't get that close to it. <laughs> I, I drove by and took a picture uh, and I just put, I just put it in my Instagram story. I said, this is the most exciting thing to see in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, and it's a sad truth. It was, it was a dead city. Uh, capital of South Carolina. So, you know, the state Capitol buildings there, it's a beautiful building, but uh, you know, that and the fire hydrant. Um, that's it. It's all I got. Uh, in any case, this head kick knockout was so impressive because uh, it was an offbeat kick. Um, you know, she threw it on a half step. If you if you look at it slowed down, she takes a half step and loads this kick up, uh, which means you know she didn't even get a full wind up on it. Uh, and, and that's what makes it so much more impressive because you can't get your full power uh, unless you take that full stutter step. She only took a half step like a half beat to throw this kick up, which is why it was so fast, which is why I just guy wasn't able to get her hands up. And this was one of those knockouts, Jeff, where it connected and you heard the gasp of air come out of Jessica. eye, and she stiffened up before she even hit the ground. I was sitting there with my mouth open, um, for a good 30 seconds, just in disbelief. I mean, it was, it was pretty horrific knockout. Um, you know, that, that gasp of air that came out of her really sticks in my mind. It was really, it was really a grotesque sound. Uh, it was almost like her soul leaving her body. Um, 
but yeah, Valentina Shevchenko is just a fucking machine, Jeff. I mean, I, I've I've been a big advocate for her as one of the top uh, women's mixed martial artists for a long, long time. And man, she just took a girl in Jessica I, who is a former champion uh, in, in other organizations, and it just made her look like she didn't even belong in there with her. Uh, give me your thoughts on this fight, Jeff. Yeah, dude, Jessica, I, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, she got eaten alive in there, man. Valentina Shevchenko, dominant everywhere. Um, the interviews, Jessica, I was very confident in her wrestling, and, you know, that's great, but Valentina Shevchenko is no slouch in the grappling department. Uh, she tapped out, um, I forgot this girl's name, uh, the Venezuelan vixen. Um I can't remember her name, but she's she won a season of the Ultimate Fighter, and she's a very very good jujitsu specialist. And Shevchenko tapped her out with an armbar. So um, I don't think that uh, Shevchenko is a slouch anywhere. I think she's super well rounded, and we saw that in the first round of this fight. Um, you know, she was able to dominate the feet. Jessica, I could never get going. Shevchenko took her down pretty easily you know with minimal effort and had a really tight arm bar at the end of that round i think the bell definitely saved jessica i and um bill that that head kick one it was vicious it, like you said it was it was kind of scary you know seeing jessica i laying there and and her body you know her legs were, were shaking a little bit um it, it was scary dude just you knew she was out before she hit the ground yeah, um, it's really re similar to another head kick knockout that we'll talk about from last week's card um, with Jim featuring Jimmy Manua. Um, but, dude, I felt like um, like Shevchenko's just she's a machine, dude. Like she she could. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how to put this. She's just good everywhere. Like you said, I don't see anyone at 125 who is able to give her a challenge at the, at the moment. I can't think of any of anybody off the top of my head. And Bill, this reminded me of when John Jones um, knocked out uh, DC in their second fight because mm -hmm. Shevchenko, she'd been hitting that left body kick in all throughout the first round. Mm -hmm. And you see when she throws that, that final head kick, Jessica, I kind of lowers her hands. She, because right before that, Shevchenko threw a kick to the body. So Jessica, I must have thought that the second one was coming to the body and that she could block it. But, um, you know, Shevchenko went up north and just hit her right on the dome piece, as you would say, Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, it was really scary. I, I don't see anyone in the flyweight division at the moment that I can think of off the top of my head who can challenge Shevchenko at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, that. That may be a case of just, um, you know, being too close to the forest to see the trees or, or however that saying goes. Um, you know, there's always been people like this where you don't see them ever losing, you know, Anderson Silva, um, Ronda Rousey, one of the best examples. And then, you know, all of a sudden somebody comes out of left field that, uh, you know, you weren't even paying attention to. Yeah. And, and dethrones them um but yeah there's nobody on the radar right now and she said she wants to fight everybody in the top 10 in this division i i don't even know i i couldn't name more than five fighters in this division you know? 
you know, I'm watching this stuff every week and reading about it all the time. Uh, so, uh, who knows? Um, you know, there may be fighters moving up from 115 still. There may be fighters moving down um, from 135 that we just never thought about or considered. But yeah, for my money, um, pound for pound, and I, I absolutely despise that phrase, but pound for pound, one of the best female fighters to ever do it. Um, you know, went to distance twice with the bantamweight and a featherweight champ Amanda Nunez, you know, even cyborg couldn't go to the distance with her. Um, so that, that says a lot in itself. Um, but yeah, who knows what's next for Valentina? I mean, right now she definitely seems unstoppable and it seems like she's just always at the top of her game. You know, there doesn't seem to be any psychological issues. She's always coming in confident. She's always coming in guns blazing. Uh, she's not afraid to take the fight anywhere it needs to go. And you mentioned the the grappling piece and how Jessica was so confident in her wrestling. There are a few things that can suck the wind out of you than when you get taken down by somebody and you truly believe that you're the better wrestler and mm -hmm. then they take you down. That's just something in a fight or in a grappling match. That's something that's very hard to overcome psychologically. When you know in your head... I know I'm a better wrestler and then you get taken down. Um, that's something that breaks guys. Uh, and that's something that GSP did to a lot of people. I mean, he took down division one wrestlers left and right and just tossed them around the cage and you saw them break in there because of it. Um, so yeah, uh, Valentina Shevchenko is just a freak, man. She's, she's such an incredible talent. And, um, you know, maybe we won't see anybody dethrone her. Maybe she'll just go on an epic championship run and, and finish her career that way. Maybe she'll, she'll try to go back up to 135 and, you know, have, have the trilogy fight with Amanda Nunez, because I really believe those fights were a lot closer than the judges did. Um, I, I kind of thought she, she won the first fight. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, a little bit of controversy and for, what what was the main event for a lot of people? And I gotta say, Jeff, I was um I was exhausted after this fight, uh, Tony Ferguson and Donald Cowboy Cerrone, um, just because this card went so late, and uh, you know I had been driving a lot and I had been drinking a lot of beer because I only had so much room in my cooler, so I had to <laughs> I had to <laughs> I had to put away a few uh I had to put away a few strong IPAs I was traveling with. Um, just because I didn't want them to go bad. Uh, the Airbnb I was staying in only had a mini fridge. Um, so I had to take all the soda and shit that was in there. Uh, you know, the nice people who, who own this Airbnb stocked it with, with like Coke and Mountain Dew and seltzer and all stuff that, you know, I, I appreciate, but I just don't, I don't drink soda. <laughs> um, so I had to take all that out and I packed this mini fridge to the brim with all the beer I was bringing with me because uh, my sister and brother-in-law uh, who, who went on vacation with us, they brought me down some of my favorite beers from the New York area. So I had all that plus all the beer that I bought uh, on my brewery tours. Um, so yeah, I, I was very sleepy by the time this fight was over. Um, interesting matchup. Uh, I was saying a couple of weeks ago how when we were breaking this fight down, 
that I don't love Donald Cerrone fighting on such short notice. I, I feel like that's not when we get the best cowboy. And when he's loose and friendly with someone he's fighting, that's when he does his best. And that's what it looked like with him and Tony Ferguson. They respect each other. They were laughing. They were goofing around. Um, but Tony Ferguson's not the guy to fight on short notice. Uh, you know, there's just, especially after the war that Cowboy went through with Ally Quinta, uh, you know, granted he did more damage, but he was fighting for 25 minutes against a fucking killer. And then four weeks later, you're going to get in there with a savage like Tony Ferguson, who has just been stewing in his house and angry about shit going down with his family and breaking down walls. Cause he thinks that there's, that, that there's aliens in there or, or whatever, or, or somebody at his walls bugged and stuff. This is not the guy. He's not the guy to fight on four weeks notice, especially uh, when you're so close to getting another title shot and and not getting any younger. Um, so I didn't like this fight off the bat for Cowboy, but that's not Tony Ferguson's fault that that Cowboy signed on the dotted line. Uh, he did what he had to do in there. Uh, you know, there was a cheap shot at the end of the second round where he got in an extra punch after the bell and Dan Mergliata you know, it had some words for Tony Ferguson and, and Ferguson kind of brushed him off. Um, and then cowboy made the Cardinal mistake. Uh, he's been around long enough to know this. If your nose is broken, you do not blow your nose. And I, you know, I've had, I've had my nose, uh, broken a couple of times. Um, and it feels like it, you have, just a bunch of shit in there but what it is is all the cartilage in there because there's no bones in your nose all the cartilage is just collapsed on that sinus passage so there's all air trapped behind it so when you go to blow your nose there's nowhere for that pressure to go but up into the cavity behind your eyes which will uh you know if you don't have swelling around your eyes it'll make your eyes so bloodshot that you can't even see and if you already have swelling like Cowboy did, uh, the air will just push all that swelling forward and cause the eye to collapse shut. So Cowboy goes to blow his own nose. Uh, you know, we all saw what happened. And then the eye swelled up immediately. And then he was digging his fingers in it, trying to open his eye back up. But um, that's just not going to work. I mean, that's just that's just biology. And he wanted to continue fighting. I, I saw some stupid comments like, Oh, cowboy blew his nose on purpose because he didn't want to finish the fight. That that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Cowboy is a fucking savage. Uh, the fact that he even got in there with Tony Ferguson on four weeks notice, uh, you know, makes him a better motherfucker than, than 99% of the people on the roster, because most people aren't taking that fight on short notice. They're saying, fuck, no, I need a full camp to fight Tony Ferguson. And rightfully so. That's probably the right move. But you, you can never deny Cowboy's toughness here. Um, I, I would never think that he would look for a way out like that. Plus, why would you do that? Because that just fucks up your eye and your vision and everything like that. Like, oh, I'm just going to. I'm just going to blow up my eyeball so I don't have to go back out there for this fight. It makes no sense. I would, I would rather fight Tony Ferguson than I think blow up my own eye. <laughs> um, 
I do not want to fight Tony Ferguson. That's one of the last guys I want to get in there with. Uh, in any case, the actual fight, I thought Tony looked amazing. He was mixing up his strikes so well. He wasn't letting Cowboy get in a rhythm, um, which is very important because Cowboy is a notoriously slow starter. And he Cowboy did start off strong in that first round, but in that second round, uh, you know, these are two guys who both pick up momentum as the fight goes on. And, and Tony got there first, uh, plain and simple. He was able to get in a rhythm quicker than Cowboy, and he was piecing him up. Uh, you know, very creative striking, uh, nothing we're not used to. But, uh, man, he looked fucking good in there. Um, and, you know, the next fight for him has to be the winner of Khabib and Poirier. But let's not go there just yet. Give me your thoughts on the actual fight, Jeff. Yeah, dude, <clears throat> I thought that Tony Ferguson looked a little bit rusty in that first round. And, you know, it was totally different in the second round. He came out throwing elbows from weird angles, using leg kicks really well to slow down Donald Cerrone. Because we know that Cerrone himself, part of his game plan is leg kicks. So Tony Ferguson just put on the pressure. And like you said, Cerrone couldn't get going. And Bill, I, I don't think that it was a sucker punch at the end of that second round. I just think that Tony, you know, he's been, he hasn't fought in over a year. So <clears throat> to me, I, th I think he kind of just, you know, maybe just forgot, you know, maybe didn't hear the bell. Um, and I think part of the blame is on Dan Mergliata. I think you should have been uh, right there to get in between the fighters once that bell rang. So yeah. um, I, I don't think it was a cheap shot. I, I don't think he did it on purpose. I think, um, you know, like you said, in the buildup to this, he was very emotional. Um, and so I think he kind of was just maybe seeing red for a sec and, you know, didn't realize. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I think he's being, he was being sincere in his apologies to Cerrone and, um, Dude, but these guys are just so tough, man. Like you said, Donald Cerrone, um, you know, he, he wanted to keep fighting, even with one eye. He was ready to get back in there. And um, even before he blew his nose, his eye was already swelling. I think Ferguson had done a lot of damage. Um, and, dude, once you he blew his nose, you could see it on the camera. As soon as, like, he finished and moved his hand, his eye just closed you know yeah he, he wasn't seeing anything after that and um bill this is the second fight in a row where someone has not come uh to answer for the third bell i mean for the third round um it's a little scary i think that this tony ferguson who is patient who you know is picking his shots i i think he's a scary dude yeah. um you know um what's his name uh anthony pettis couldn't answer for the third round, now uh, Donald Cerrone. Um, Kevin Lee was finished early. So I think there's a very dangerous Tony Ferguson, um, and I can't wait to see him back in there a little bit more. I can't wait to see him take on the winner of um, Poirier and Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think that either either one of those fights is going to be a, a war. Yeah, for sure. And Tony Ferguson, the scariest thing about him is – he doesn't necessarily intend to finish fights. He goes out there to punish you for 15 minutes or 25 minutes or however long that fight is going to be. And if you can't hang anymore, fine. But he's prepared 
to go the distance and just beat the fuck out of you for as long as it takes. And that's something that him and Khabib have in common because Khabib has said in the past, uh, he's chosen not to finish guys just so he can make them suffer in there. Um, and, and those are the scariest guys to fight. Those are the guys you do not want to be in there with. And uh, that's why I still really want to see that Tony Ferguson Khabib fight. I, I mean, I just feel like it's not written in the stars. It's not meant to be or whatever the case, but um, that doesn't make me want it any less, Jeff. Um, you know, it's like that celebrity crush, you know, you're never going to meet, but um, you know, can't, you can't, you can't help but but wonder what it would be like. <laughs> yeah. um, let's um, we got a lot to talk about, so uh, I want to kind of uh, breeze over the rest of this with a couple of highlights. Legai Ivanov and Tai Tuivasa. Um, th this fight was okay. Uh, I I think some people thought it was controversial. I thought it was a clear win for for Legai Ivanov. I didn't see any fight left in Tai Tuivasa after halfway through the second round when uh, Lagoy Ivanov was just making him carry his weight um, and that nasty front headlock and Tai Tiovasa even tapped at the end of the second round. <laughs> but um, that was after the bell. Uh, I don't know if he heard the bell or, or whatever the case, you know, may, maybe it was because of the bell sounds in English. Um, and <laughs> what? <laughs> Bell sounds in English. Oh man! <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, Tatiana Suarez very dominant over Nina Ansaroff. Even though she, it looked like she did get a little bit tired in that third round, and Nina Ansaroff almost had a comeback in that third round. Um, I, I'm still really high on Tatiana Suarez. Um, I, I think her wrestling ability is just phenomenal. Uh, the way she chains her takedowns together is really. Uh, it's it's a work of art to watch and uh, a lot of people have been trying to compare her to khabib and then people say oh well you better take the khabib nickname away now uh, i don't think that's a necessary comparison to make um you know you're comparing american wrestling to to sambo and she just comes from such a great wrestling pedigree and uh, i thought she looked phenomenal in those first two rounds and yeah she might have gotten a little bit tired um you know, she she's a big girl for that weight class too, and and she's the one who we may see uh, move up to challenge Valentina one day because she's so uh, grown into her body here. Um, so I would expect her to go up to 125 eventually. Um, Alexa Grasso looked looked great against Carolina Kovalkiewicz, who um, really just hasn't been herself, um, especially since that nasty knockout she took. Uh, at the hands of the strawway champ, Jessica Andrade. Uh, Calvin Cater with a nice knockout over Ricardo Lamas. And uh, Lamas is a guy who I think just needs some time off. Uh, you know, a couple of real bad knockouts and, and, and a couple of wars he's been in. And he's just been at this for so long. If he's going to keep going, I would really like to see him take a significant amount of time off. I'm a big fan of Ricardo Lamas. I think, uh, I think he's one of the toughest, grittiest dudes around you know he's a real old school gritty fighter but um he, he's been taking a lot of damage from from all these knockouts uh zionan yan uh with a win over angela hill i think she set the record for most tit kicks in a fight uh she was <laughs> she just kept kicking angela hill in the tits um it was <laughs> it was an interesting strategy um 
But yeah, she looked good. And this is, like I said two weeks ago, this is a quick turnaround for Angela Hill as well because she just fought like a month and a half ago in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and she's another one who every time she gets a little bit of momentum, uh, she seems to to slip back. I, I would like to see her take some more time off in between fights because she's a very skilled fighter. Uh, Darren Stewart and Bevon Lewis, meh. Uh, Eddie Wineland, vintage Eddie Wineland, uh, taking the steam out of Gregory Popov, who's a highly touted prospect, uh, very accomplished Muay Thai fighter. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, vintage Eddie Wineland, he hasn't been in there in a couple of years and he got in there, got the knockout in the second round. And then, uh, a pretty impressive win of Caitlin Chukagian over Joanne Calderwood. Uh, some people were saying maybe Chukagian, someone who could challenge for that flyweight title eventually. Um, uh, she's going to need some, we're, we're going to need to see how she does against some stiffer competition first, but, uh, you know, who knows it's possible. She's a good fighter. Uh, anything that I, that I kind of breezed over there, pique your interest, Jeff. Yeah. Just that Calvin Gator knockout, man. Um, you know, Ricardo Lamas, always a game opponent, a very, very well-rounded fighter and Calvin Gator, <clears throat> was able to wear him down and, you know, finish him off with a nice one, two, um, you know, good for Calvin Cater. We've, uh, we've talked about him too. He's a very, very good striker. Um, but like I said, Bill, overall, I think this card really, really delivered, um, very few boring fights on this card. And I'm with you. I was kind of getting tired after that, uh, Ferguson Cerrone fight. It was already like 11, 1130. It was, it was an emotional roller coaster that fight. Yeah. And then well, I had an adrenaline shock from the yeah. Valentina Shevchenko fight. <laughs> I was actually, I was planning to go to sleep, um, but I was like, all right, let me watch the beginning of this Valentina fight. And I was like, man, she's just dominating this chick. And I was like, ah, she's probably gonna finish her in the second round. Let me let me watch. And then and I was awake, so then I watched the Henry Cejudo fight. So if it wasn't for Valentina, I probably would have just watched that the next day or or checked out the highlights or something. Um, all right, you ready to move on to uh, cover uh, Fight Night 153 here, Jeff? Yep, absolutely. So, All right. Uh, where was this one again? This was in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, and I, I had said on the show two weeks ago, I don't know if anybody recalls, if you're going to put your money on somebody, put it on Anthony Smith just because of all the, um, all the variables. Now, I didn't see it ending the way that it did. Um, I, I did think that Gustafson would have had a grappling advantage, but uh, Anthony Smith proved me wrong. But uh, like I said, all the pressure of fighting at home seems to usually get to Alexander Gustafson. And, uh, you know, he, you could just kind of tell he wasn't, he wasn't all there. You know, he wasn't totally focused on what he needed to do. Uh, he had his moments where he looked good in his main event fight, but uh, he had other moments where he just looked like he didn't want to be in there. Um, and it, almost like he was looking for a way out and Anthony Smith gave it to him. So it was Gustafson who went for the takedown in that fourth round. And it resulted in a scramble where Anthony Smith got on Gustafson's back and he did a great job. He was riding really high and he was able to just break down Gustafson's hips and flatten him out. And he was able to to get the choke. It was a it was an awesome finish from Anthony Smith. I guess he's gotten some better corner advice uh, since his last fight with John Jones, where 
he was told, you just got to be you out there. If you're not you, you can't win. And if you can't win, then you're going to lose. Uh, <laughs> whatever he said. Um, uh, I'm thinking, I think I'm paraphrasing, but I also think it's pretty accurate. Um, so, yeah, he chokes him out in front of his hometown, and then uh, he lays down the gloves, says the show's over. Um, you know, Gustafson's a guy who came so close um, but never quite reached the finish line when it comes to realizing uh, a championship in his career. And I'm sure that will be his biggest regret going forward. But, um, you know, obviously we wish him the best. You know, if you don't want to do this anymore, this is not something, you know, this is not like being an accountant where it's like, oh, I have five more years till my retirement, but I don't really want to do this anymore. Uh, you know, you could stick that out. Uh, you know, just just shut up and, and do your job and use your vacation time and and whatever. Um, you know, steal office supplies, whatever makes you uh, feel better about being at that job. But if you're a cage fighter and you don't want to be in there anymore, uh, just don't do it uh, because it's dangerous. You, I mean, you, you're threatening the 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 quality of life you're going to have after this. So if, if you're doubting. Uh, your abilities or you're doubting your desire or your hunger to, to be in that cage, then don't be in that cage. Um, and that's the advice I would give to anybody having doubts about doing this sport. Um, so, uh, give me your thoughts on the fight, Jeff, and the retirement of Alexander Gustafson, who I know is one of your favorite fighters. Yeah, so Gustafson started off really, really well. I'd say rounds one and two is looking really good. And then Anthony Smith just turned it up and never slowed down after that. You know, he made it, uh, Smith was able to make it into a brawl. He was able to get into Gustafson's face. Um, you know, he, he didn't, um, you know, he didn't fall into Gustafson's um, boxing. He actually um, was making Alexander Gustafson um, come after him, Anthony Smith. And Anthony Smith was doing a really good job with his counter-striking, which is a little unusual. Usually we see Gustafson doing the countering. And uh, I think Anthony Smith did a really good job of making Gustafson play his game. And <clears throat> honestly, Bill, um, in those last two rounds, it kind of looked to me like maybe Gustafson had kind of planned to retire no matter what the outcome of this fight was. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jones... It's not looking like he's going anywhere. Gustafson's already had two shots at him. Um, you know, Smith didn't beat him, but Smith still kind of has something to prove. But, uh, yeah, dude, I, I think Gus, Gustafson is uh, making the best decision for himself at the moment. Um, you know, I, I don't think he loses any stock. I think, you know, for a long time, he's been one of my favorite fighters. Um, I think the way he's been able to just add to his repertoire over the re over the years uh, has just been so impressive to me. You know, he's he's the definition of a mixed martial artist. When he lost to Phil Davis and he got tapped out, he realized that there were holes in his game, and he said, "You know, uh, Phil Davis, can I come train with you?" And you know, they became good friends. Gustafson's wrestling has has become really, really top notch in the last couple of years. Um, his submission game as well. So, you know, if this is the last time we see Gustafson, uh, I just want to thank him as as a as a huge fan of his. Um, to this day, I still believe he beat John Jones in that first fight. But um, yeah, dude, it's it's been a great ride watching him fight. But Bill, remember that head kick that we talked about with um, Valentina Shevchenko? Well, 
I feel like Jimmy Manua. Oh God, <laughs> I was concerned, Bill, because not this dude Alexander Rakic. I didn't know anything about him, but in the first round against Jimmy Manua, he just comes out swinging. He comes out really explosive, gets in Jimmy Manua's face, and hits this right hand, and then switches into a left head kick. And Manua, not only was the knockout bad, Bill. But he landed on the canvas hard. I was really concerned that he was going to be visiting Concussion City, dude. Yeah, yeah, it was it was bad. And Jimmy Manuel, who is a boxer by trade, had his hands set up perfectly to parry a punch. If it were just a punch that came his way, um, he would have been fine because his hands were out a little bit far from his face, um, and, and he would have been able to knock knock a out a, a punch that was coming from far away. But uh, unfortunately his hands were too far away from his face to defend the kick that came up and over the top and, and put him to sleep and uh, you know, back to back finishes in the co co main event and uh, the co and main event and back to back retirements. Cause Jimmy Manoa announced his retirement the next day. And uh, I think that's a good thing because here's a guy who, you know, he was able to come in, you know, from the boxing world and, and knock a lot of guys out, um, on his rise to the top of, of what was basically a very empty division, except for, you know, the top guys, Gustafson Jones and DC. Uh, but now you got a division of killers. Uh, you know, there's uh, we had been saying for the past, uh, you know, two years or so on this show, anyway, how empty that light heavyweight division was. But now you guys, you got guys coming off the contender series. Uh, you have guys like Rakich. You have guys like Johnny Walker. You have guys like Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith who moved up in weight uh, to be part of this division. And now it's getting pretty stacked and pretty competitive. Uh, you know, you got guys like Khalil Roundtree who are looking amazing lately. Um, so, yeah, that might be a fun fight, Alexander Rakic and Khalil Roundtree. I think that's something I'd like to see. Um, but yeah, as far as Jimmy Manoa, I mean, he he's taken some pretty bad knockouts. So um, the right decision here to to lay it down, I think. Um, you know, he he put on a lot of really fun fights. His fight with Tiago Santos was one of the craziest first rounds ever. Um, and you know, he just came, you know, he put Santos down a couple of times. He got put down a couple of times and then he just got, um, you know, he just wound up taking the harder shots. So, uh, he's taking a lot of damage in his last couple of fights. So probably the right move to, uh, to lay it down. Uh, any other thoughts on this one, Jeff? No, um, I don't think this fight was long enough for me to have any other thoughts on it, Bill. Mm. 47 fair. seconds. Fair, fair. All right. Uh, Makwan Amirakani getting the uh, Anaconda choke over Chris Fishgold. It was a very slick submission. These two uh, had a, a very entertaining first round. It was so back and forth uh, where, like, they just kept butting heads and, uh, you know, very back and forth with the grappling. You know, both good grapplers, but Amirakani uh, coming away with the uh, Anaconda choke and then, I don't know. Is there anything else on this card you want to talk about, Jeff? I'm just kind of looking up and down. Uh, Leonardo Santos had an impressive knockout of Stevie Ray. Uh, 
and Frank Camacho knocked out Nick Hine in the second round. That was that was a good one. Um, I don't know what else you got, kid. I'll be honest with you, Bill. This this fight really didn't do it for me. I mean, these this card. Yeah. I mean, there were some nice knockouts, but uh, I just couldn't get into it. Yep. All right. Well, uh, it's been a pretty long one, so maybe we'll call it here. Anything else you want to get off your chest? Um, no, just uh, it's Monday night. Sorry that we're a little bit late, everybody. Um, uh, but we'll see you guys later in the week for Bill's breakdown of some of the awesome breweries and distilleries that he checked out. And I uh, hope everybody has an awesome week. And uh, summer starts, uh, I think, this weekend or next week or something. So, mm -hmm. you know, everybody head to the beach on a Saturday or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, one last thing I'll throw in here. Friday night is Bellator 222. Uh, and this is a pretty solid card, actually. I'm looking at it. Main event, Rory McDonald and Neiman Gracie, part of that welterweight tournament. Co-main event. Uh, the American Gangster, Chael Sonnen, and Lyoto Machida. That, that should be a fun fight. I'll always tune in for old Chael. Uh, Dylan Dennis is fighting some chump. Uh, here's a here's a really fun fight. Uh, Bantamweights, Ricky Bandejas, and Patrick Mix. Uh, you should definitely check this one out. Patrick Mix, 10-0 against Ricky Bandejas, um, who uh, walked away from his championship in another division to take a fight. He was supposed to lose against uh gallagher the irish kid and uh came in and knocked him out uh really really tough fighter um eduardo dantes and juan archuleta that's a fun fight Darian caldwell and kyoji horiguchi uh in a in a rematch i believe because caldwell went over to japan to fight horiguchi in ryzen and now ryzen's coming back to fight caldwell in bellator you got aaron pico against uh, the undefeated Aaron Borix. Heather Hardy's fighting on this card. Uh, what else we got? And then uh, we got the Manimal, John Beneducci, who is uh, part of one of my favorite MMA podcasts, uh, MMA and Beyond, with Steve Maraboli and Ray Longo. Uh, Manimal is fighting... Uh, on the undercard of this uh, of this event, Bellator 222, Madison Square Garden. Uh, Longtime New Yorker, uh, really proud to be fighting at the Garden. So uh, I'll be tuning in to watch to watch Manimal go to work against Kenny Rivera on the on the prelims here from Bellator 222. This is actually a really good card. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to check this one out. I don't think I have anything going on Friday night anyway. Uh, if this is on DAZN, I'm going to have to find another way to watch it. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> it's on TV. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, I, I will have another episode coming maybe this week, maybe next week, uh, where I will do the uh, the craft brewery tour breakdown for you guys. Uh, I'll let you know what my top breweries were and, the, and some of the best beers that I drank. And, um, you know, if you're not into the alcohol talk, then... Um, you know, just don't download the episode or, or do download it and just don't listen to it. Cause that helps our numbers. And the other thing that helps us out is, uh, please leave us a review. 
um, because that helps people find the show and, uh, you know, spread the good word of MMA on the rocks. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter and on Instagram. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can send me an email, MMA on the rocks, gmail.com, or you can go to our website, MMA on the rocks.com. Uh, I, I've been slacking with the weekly articles, but I plan on getting back to that soon. And uh, I'm going to be starting a craft beer blog, I decided, on there as well. So if you're into the brews and stuff like that, check out the website. Uh, all right. That's it. I'm going to I'm gonna try and uh, take down the rest of this sour ale. And uh, might have to wash it down with a little bit more bourbon. But that's all we got. Uh, thanks for being patient with us, uh, being away uh, on vacation. But now I'm refreshed, ready to go. We'll get back on schedule. We'll be back. Uh, next Sunday or maybe sooner. Uh, but until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>